Good morning, Deep Run family. This morning we will be reading from the English Standard Version. If you're here with us in person and you find that you need a Bible to borrow or keep, you can find them on the back table. And if you're joining us online, um, just reach out to us through the website and we'll find a way to get you one if you need one as well. Deliver me from my enemies, O oh my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, our God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips. For who, they think, will hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down. O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city, they wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, our Father, your word is truth, your word is light, your word is life. And may we learn from it today in Jesus' name, amen. So since Chevy prayed twice, I'm going to preach twice. <laughs> Just kidding. So, okay, we're, we're, we're working through more of the Psalms this summer. We are learning to practice prayer and meditation through these beautiful ancient poems and hymns. So Psalm 59, as the title suggests, if, if you notice the, uh, the old, original, ancient, edited title, it says it's a Psalm of David, uh, and this was the occasion for it, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. That's the circumstance in the heading. It could reflect 1 Samuel chapter 19. Verses 11 and 12 tell us uh, that David, before he was king, when he was really running for his life from cave to cave, from wilderness region to wilderness region, at one point had to escape his very own house. His wife warned him, happened to be Saul's daughter. And David had to escape through the window running for his life. It had gotten so personal, 
that it, it wasn't just on the battlefield, it wasn't just in the wilderness, now they're hunting him at his very own house, and he has to escape through the window. And it, it made me think of The Godfather Part Two, because there's this moment, don't act like you've never seen it. Um, there's this moment in The Godfather Part Two where Mike, Michael Corleone's life is attacked when, when, when all of a sudden machine, guns, uh, machine gun bullets spray through his bedroom while he and his wife are sleeping, right? And, and, and after that happens, he, he says to, he says to his, um, his associate, Frank Pentangeli, in a rage, Michael says to him, in my home, right? And he screams the words, in my home. Right, because this is a new level of personal for Michael Corleone. They've gone, they have gotten so close to him that his own wife and children are at risk. And so he yells, in my home, in my bedroom where my wife sleeps, where my children come and play with their toys, in my home. And that's the famous scene in which Michael utters the words, the famous words, keep your, enemy, your friends close, sorry, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Maybe you've heard of that. So uh, today we're gonna talk about bullies. And I think we can all relate no matter how old we are and what we've gone through in life. The common way of dealing with bullies in the world, and there are many ways, so one is you out-bully them, right? Overwhelming force against force. You out-bully the bully or you join them. If you can't beat them, join them. You become one of them. You protect yourself, and you get in on, um, you get in on, on taking advantage of everybody else. Or you run from them. You just always run, and you hide. Or here's a subtle one. You appease them. You find a way to beat the system or work within the system to protect yourself and protect your people, and you just find a way. You, know, you, you pay tribute in some sense or another. You appease the bullies. And we've all tried different responses, haven't we? I have. I tried every one of those responses in middle school. Uh, you know, in the 80s, we didn't call it bullying. It was just normal. It just kind of happened. <laughs> it just happened. But by today's terminology, I was bullied from fifth grade through part of eighth grade. So fifth, sixth, seventh grade, basically through middle school, I, I went through a lot of intense bullying. And so I tried every approach to deal with it. And, and so, uh, you know, have you been bullied in some way? You know, maybe you're young right now, and, and you, for you, being bullied on the playground or in the schoolyard or at camp is fresh to you. Maybe you know it exactly, you know exactly what it is, and you're going through it right now, or you've gone through it recently, or you're afraid for September. You're not looking forward to going back to school because you're living through the dynamic of bullying. Or, you know, maybe you've been bullied in other ways. Maybe you've been bullied in your home by a parent or an older sibling. Maybe you've been bullied by a spouse. Maybe, and this is more subtle, maybe you've been bullied on social media. Maybe you've been attacked publicly on social media. Maybe, maybe it's a boss, you know, maybe somebody at work likes to intimidate you. And I've learned in ministry that bullies work in the church too. Bullies exist in ministry also. 
So, so what, what might that look like for you? Kids, young people, listen up, because I'm telling you, if you pay attention today, you may learn to not make some mistakes that I made when I was your age and I was among the bullies. Michael Corleone's statement, keep your friends close but your enemies closer, it, that cannot be our motto. It, it just can't be. It works sometimes, but I'm not gonna be recommending it today. It can't be our model because Michael Corleone had the power. When you have the power, when you have the money, when you have the influence, when you have the muscle, it's easy to keep your enemies close to you because they're afraid of you and they're trying to appease you. David, at this point in his life, did not have the power. You and I do not have the power in most of these circumstances. And actually, Michael Corleone, for all his money and all his influence and muscle and power, ended up not knowing who he could trust. So th that cannot be our motto. But the Bible makes a promise to people of faith who are victimized. And the promise is that God, in his steadfast love, will meet you. And we're gonna take a look at that, and what I think you're gonna see from Psalm 59 is that while you must be aware of your bullies, you cannot take your eyes off of God. You have to be aware of your bullies. You have to be aware. But you can never take your eyes off of your Savior. And that's what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna talk about your bullies, we're gonna talk about our God, and we're gonna talk about Jesus, our Savior, and how understanding Jesus really addresses and gives us the hope and the wisdom to know how to deal with the bullies in this world. So we're gonna talk about being aware of your bullies, being aware of your God, and being aware of a Savior who helps us confront our bullies. Being aware of the bullies is really not an option. It is not optional in this life to be aware of these types of threats. Because we live in a broken world, and listen to this, the nature of bullies is that they go looking for trouble. They are looking for trouble. They are looking for victims. Regardless of the situation, regardless of how you're behaving, even if you've been on your best behavior and you've done nothing wrong, the bully by nature is looking to victimize somebody. David says in verse one, deliver me from my enemies. Why? Because of what he says in verse three, they lie in wait for my life. Remember, they are so close, they are just waiting for him to take the wrong step and they're going to attack him. You see, bullying is not a fair fight. Bullying is not a mutual conflict between equals. Bullying is because of a power imbalance. Bullying is what happens when somebody on the stronger side, on the advantageous side of a power imbalance, takes advantage of that imbalance and leverages it for their own well-being and favor. And this is true of human nature. Every society, every culture, every environment, it's true of human nature, right from the playground all the way up to the halls of government. Bullying is everywhere. And if you look at verses 6 and 14, you will find uh, the chorus, frame of, of David's song. And this is it. And it's word for word identical in both verses. Each evening, they come back howling like dogs 
and prowling about the city. You know what, I'm gonna go back actually because uh, I missed something. This is the nature of bullying. You haven't done anything wrong, right? That's, what did I say? They are looking for trouble. They are looking for victims. And, 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 and this rings true in Psalm 59 because David says it's, it's not for any fault of not. Now, David was a big sinner. But this time he's saying, not for any transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine. They're just out to get him. And so he says in verses 6 and 14, each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. So if, if this was like a, a, if he wrote this today and, and gave it a catchy title, it would, the title would be something like, a, you know, like a pack of dogs. You know, he'd be singing like a pack of dogs and that refrain would keep coming back. It's a very depressing song. When the refrain, when the chorus is, like a pack of wild dogs, they're after me. Like a pack of wild dogs, they're after me. But that's what he's saying. And you learn something in the two refrains. In verses 7 and 15, which are right after verses 6 and 14, uh, there's a variation on each chorus. And this is what we learn about bullies. In verse 7, we learn that bullies have no accountability. Verse 7, he says, they howl. why are they howling? Because they say to themselves, who will hear us? There's nobody to hear us. Bullies thrive in an environment where there is no accountability. Bullies thrive when they are enabled to thrive. But we learn something else about bullies. Not only do they exist in a system where there is no accountability, they're fundamentally selfish. They're just trying to feed their appetite. It says in verse 15, they wander around looking for food, and what do they do when they don't get it? They growl when they do not get their full. You see that? So there is no accountability upon them, and they're selfish, and so they thrive in that environment. The perfect example of a bully is Scott Farkas from A Christmas Story. I, I know it's not July anymore. Let's just do Christmas in August for a moment, right? Scott Farkas and Grover Dill are your classic bullies. No accountability and absolutely selfish. They just love preying upon all the kids. And the kids know that this is true. All of you, if you're, if you're still young, you know that this is true. Kids know it's true and parents should never forget that this is true. What the nature of bullying in a broken world is. And actually, it's more subtle today because of the internet, because of social media. Far more subtle. Actually, according to an article published a couple of years ago by the Mayo Clinic, says that social media use can also, it's, there are benefits to social media, but it says social media can also negatively affect teens, distracting them, disrupting their sleep, and exposing them to bullying. Rumor spreading, unrealistic views of other people's lives, and peer pressure. And it goes on to say that other studies also have been observing links between high levels of social media use and depression or anxiety symptoms. You, you must be aware of bullying. If you're a kid, you have no choice. If you're a parent or if you're a person in authority, you can't forget that it's a dynamic in this world. And so, you must also be wise. You must be aware, but you must also be wise to it. And so David makes an interesting request in verse 11. He says to the Lord, kill them not, 
lest my people forget. That's really interesting. He's saying, God, I'm asking you to judge them, but don't judge them too much. I'm asking you to make them pay, but don't make them pay too much. What's, what's he getting at? Well, remember Scott Farkas and how he was like at the, you know, the top of the food chain? And then what happened? Little Ralphie goes ballistic and beats the snot out of Scott Farkas. Now, um, do not... Do not say that your pastor told you it's okay to beat the snot out of somebody. I did not say that. But, but here's what happened with Scott Fargus. Scott Fargus had to live with the humiliation of being beat up in the playground in the presence of all of the other kids, right? What does that accomplish in the schoolyard culture? Now, all the kids who were intimidated by Scott Farkas know that little Ralphie beat the snot out of him. See, Scott Farkas wasn't miraculously whisked away to a military school or a boarding school, right? Like one day, they're petrified of him, and the next day, he's, he's just gone out of their lives. And when they're, now they're afraid. They're frightened. When is he going to come back, Right? When's my parent going to come back? I haven't seen him in 10 years, and I'm definitely afraid of, of, of him showing up again. The thing with Scott Farkas, it, that's the point of what David's saying. Make an example of them, Lord. Don't wipe them off of the face of the earth. I want my people to learn from how you make a bully deal with the consequences of his actions. And actually, Jesus said something very similar. David is saying, Lord, I, I don't want you to wipe them off the face of the earth because I want everybody to learn from this. And so Jesus said to his own disciples in Matthew chapter 10, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Wolves are bullies. Sheep are defenseless. And so Jesus says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. There he goes. Be realistic. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. What was Jesus' point? And and what was David's point? I, I think in a way we can summarize it all by saying this. Even the bullies play a role in God's plan. Even the bullies in the end, will play a role in what God is doing. Now, this may sound very unchristian to you, maybe even a bit dark, the way Jesus is talking. Crafty as serpents. David saying, make them pay, but don't kill them, right? Let, let them suffer, but not too much. Isn't Jesus the one who said, love your enemies? Well, yes, but, but here's the thing. Your enemies don't know that. Your enemies don't know that you're, you're called to love them as a Christian. And even if they do know that you're called to love them, they don't care. And sometimes the bullies are so, are so subtle and so insidious that they know that you are called to love them, and so they will take advantage of that and bully you even more. They will say, oh, Christians, bunch of suckers. The church, a ministry, bunch of suckers. I'm going to take, an advantage, take advantage of that. Here's my point. Don't think that because you're a Christian or don't think that because you are spiritual or because you are a moral religious person that you don't have enemies. 
We need to stop the spiritual mumbo-jumbo and be realistic about the world in which we live. Listen, if they treat you like an enemy, you have an enemy. Even, if, even as we are called to love, yes, even our enemies, if you are being treated like someone's enemy, you have enemies. Eugene Peterson in his book on the Psalms said that the Psalms are full of unsettling enemy talk. God is the primary subject in the Psalms, but enemies are established in solid second place. They, next to God, enemies are the main theme of the Psalms. Why is that? Because God wants you to be aware of the bullies, and he wants you to go in prayer to him about them. He wants you to take your fear and your anger and your sense of injustice. He wants you to take it to him in prayer. He wants you to meditate on how he can help you. How does a biblical worldview account for bullies and help us respond to them? How does a biblical worldview encourage a parent to help a child sort through the reality of bullies in this world. How do we respond to bullies as people of the book, as people of faith? Well, here's a good way to start. We've gotta be more aware of God than we are of the bullies. That is biblical faith, to be more focused and locked in on God than we are locked in and focused on the bullies. Biblical faith puts a focus on a sovereign, righteous God who is personal, who is not just mighty and just, but personally knows you and loves you because he has the hairs on your head numbered. He has your DNA on file somewhere. And so David could say in verse nine, oh my strength, I will watch for you. For you, oh God, are my fortress. You see that? That is faith. That is the essence of biblical faith among the bullies. You say to yourself, while they are watching for me, I am going to watch for God. They're keeping their eyes on me. They're waiting for me to make the wrong step. I'm keeping my eyes on my God who is my strength, who has been my refuge. And so that is just a simple takeaway for this week. Keep an eye on your enemies. Don't be a fool. Keep your eye on your enemies, but keep a closer watch on God. Keep your eyes on your enemies, but keep your eyes more focused on a God who personally knows you and loves you and is strong to save you and protect you. See, while they wait for you to step out of your house, let's think Michael Corleone again, let's think David being hunted by Saul. Before you even take a step out of your house, you've already meditated on the Lord and you've prayed to him. So while they are waiting for you to step out of your door, you've already meditated and prayed. While they are waiting for you to show up at work tomorrow morning, you've already meditated about the situation and prayed about it. When they are waiting for you, when they are trolling for you, and they're just watching, waiting for you to log back onto your social media accounts, you've already prayed about it. You've already meditated on it. You are keeping watch on God long before they are ready to keep an eye on you. Meditation and prayer. And by these things, we align ourselves with a God who is our strength and our fortress. So listen, bullies, bullies thrive in power vacuums. OK? 
okay? When, when there is a lack of leadership and when there is a lack of clarity, it's not just about having poor leadership or no leadership, it's also about knowing where the boundary lines are, knowing what is important, knowing what is praised and what is frowned upon in a circumstance, in an ecosystem, in an environment, whether it's a family or a schoolyard or, or where you work. Bullies thrive in power vacuums. No leadership, no clarity. But when we keep our attention on a personal God who is our fortress, bullies lose their power in the home. Bullies lose their power in the school system. Bullies lose their power in the church. When we focus on a personal God as our fortress. And you know why bullies lose their power? When you fill the power vacuum with prayer and meditation on a holy, just, righteous God, you know why they lose their power? Because they lose their power in our hearts. A lot of it is right up in here. And when we begin to focus on a God who truly can save us, the bullies begin to lose their power in our hearts, lose their power over us. So I want you to ask yourself a question, who are you keeping an eye on? Who are you keeping close to yourself and why? I'm so glad because we did not plan it, but when Sarah shared with the kids this morning Psalm 56, it was already in my notes. Remember, a month ago, we looked at Psalm 56. I will not be afraid. Why? In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? When you think more on what people can do to you and less on who God is, we become victims even before the bully shows up. We become victims even before they open their mouth, even before they post a reply to our vacation picture or our interesting thought of the day. When we think more on what people can do to us and less on who God is, we provide a power vacuum, we provide a power imbalance for people to take advantage. Believers, believers become functional atheists by paying closer attention to our enemies than to God. Just read Ed, Ed Welch's book, when, when People Are Big and God Is Small. You know, and, and we have to ask ourselves, I have to ask myself, why have I not trusted in God? The God of Psalm 56, the personal God who David names, the Lord in whose name I praise, I trust in him, what can man do to me? Why? Do we not trust in God among the bullies? While we do trust in our Second Amendment rights, while we do trust in our security plans, in our wits, in our muscle, in our friends, and our connections. Why do we trust in all of these things and we do not trust in our God? If we do not trust in our God, then we will become just like Michael Corleone, a prisoner in your own house unable to know who you can't even trust the people closest to you. Don't become a bully in order to deal with bullies. Don't become one yourself. 
That will not happen if you have a different perspective. What changes our perspective is when we become aware of a savior, a savior who handles the bullies. That's why we call Jesus our savior. That's why we call him our redeemer. He's not just our God. He's not just our creator. He's our savior. This is personal. He's protecting us. He's looking out for us. Do you believe that? Look at verse 10. It's true. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. When you remember that Jesus met you in your humanity, you see. When Jesus met you by becoming a human being like you and faced your bullies for you. Think about that. When Jesus became a human being, he stood in between the bullies and you. Jesus faced all the bullies. He faced the Pharisees. Read about it in the Gospels. He faced the chief priests. He faced the Romans. He even faced Satan. And Jesus faced the biggest bully of them all. He faced death itself. He got in its way so that you would not take the blows. And so when you remember that Jesus met you in your humanity by facing the bullies in his humanity, you can find hope and you can find comfort so that you can even rejoice, like all these songs we're singing. You can rejoice and even sing, yeah, among the bullies. C.S. Lewis said, if you really want to get under Satan's skin, laugh at him. He hates scorn. That's not the Bible. It's just one guy's idea. However, I think there's an interesting point. I think even more powerful than laughing at our spiritual bully is singing praises to our God. Not focusing on Satan, but focusing on our creator. We can even sing and rejoice in the midst of the bullies, and that's exactly what David does in verse 16. I will sing of your strength. I will sing of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. And so while the bullies are waiting for you to step out of your door, you have already begun a song of praise. Because Jesus changes your perspective when you remember that he stepped in front of your bullies for you. And here's the thing, Jesus the Savior helps you account for the bullies and respond to them in faith in, in, in two ways. He didn't take advantage of the massive power imbalance between him and humanity. I mean, when you and I face our bullies, they're the ones with all the power. But for Jesus, the Son of God, our creator, the, empower, the power imbalance was favoring him. He had every right to come here and throw his weight around, and what did he do? He came as a humble servant, a poor child, a carpenter's son, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He is the ultimate anti-bully. Not because he's stronger than the bullies, oh, he is. But because he submitted himself to the bullies. He didn't take advantage of that massive power imbalance that was in his favor, but he did, according to 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And now you do the same thing among the bullies. 
You entrust yourself to a just God who will deal justly. And listen, if you're a bully, I don't want to leave anyone out today. If you're a bully and you know who you are, even though we, we might, but if you're a bully, Jesus even holds his forgiveness out to you. Friend, you still have a chance. Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he asked his heavenly father to forgive the people who were crucifying him. So if you're a bully, we even extend in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ an invitation to you to receive his forgiveness and stop what you're doing and let Jesus become your Lord and let Jesus forgive you and learn to become a servant and learn to love instead of throw your weight around. Learn to heal from the people who bullied you so that you can begin to be a source of healing for the people in this life and in this world. Because if not, if you refuse to repent, if you refuse to receive the gracious gift of God's forgiveness for your bullying, Jesus is watching and Jesus is coming and he's bigger than you are. While we must be aware of our bullies, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. God is our strength and he is bigger than our bullies, amen? So let's keep an eye on our enemies, but let's keep a closer watch on God and let's wait for him. Father, we, we don't for a second, despite David's hope and Jesus' salvation, we don't for a second fool ourselves into thinking that bullies aren't real and they're not in this world. Uh, Father, help us to take it seriously and not find confidence in ourselves and to not, as the scriptures say, trust in princes or horses. Help us to trust in you. Father, if there's anyone in this room who is afraid, Lord, would you literally protect their life, protect their bodies, protect their minds, protect the people that they love and cannot protect themselves. Please take care of them and, and make either the authorities or us aware that they need help. But Father, give all of us hope to not beat the bullies by becoming them, but allow you to deal with the bullies in your time and even in your name to love those who persecute us. In Christ, amen.